Welcome to the 100 Entrepreneurs Podcast, created to provide veterans and their family members with information, ideas, and inspiration for starting new businesses. This is Amanda Weathersby for 100 Entrepreneurs Foundation. We talk with entrepreneurs and small business experts to learn more about their industries and their lessons learned in creating and growing new businesses. Thank you for joining us. And today I'm speaking with Ben Morley, a veteran business owner currently living in the Seattle area. Ben is a U.S. Air Force Academy graduate who served for 27 years in the military. And welcome, Ben. So nice of you to join us. It's great to be here, Amanda. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, great to have you. So, Ben, first off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your military experience as well as, you know, where what you've been doing since you left the military? Yes. Well, I, I grew up on an island off the coast of Washington State. That's an uh, island archipelago called the San Juan Islands up by Canada, <clears throat> up by Vancouver Island. So I grew up on San Juan Island, a small farming town, no stoplights, no fast food. <laughs> you get there by airplane or by ferry boat. And uh, so I went to school there, you know, 36 kids in my graduating class. And um, I think it's about halfway through school, I'd learned about these service academy things. And so I sent in a little perforated three by five card out of the back of the catalog that my high school counselor had. And that opened up the whole chapter of learning up about the military academies and so I, I uh, applied to all three of them, and I chose the Air Force Academy. So I, I went to the U.S. Air Force Academy uh, in Colorado Springs and graduated from there. And uh, after graduation, I uh, went to pilot training down in West Texas, and I chose the uh, C-141 aircraft after graduation, which is a four-engine heavy jet transport, and uh, got to fly around the world with four or five of your of your great friends and see all sorts of different cultures. And I was uh, stationed in Northern California uh, at a base there uh, for a number of mm -hmm. years. And then I um, got to transfer up to McCord Air Force Base up uh, right outside of Seattle here. Uh, so I was back home again and um, transitioned up here and then finished up my active duty time and then transferred over to the Air Force Reserve and worked as a full-time member in the reserves as a small cadre of full-time workers, and I became one of them and had an office job in various different positions uh, in the reserves for 17 years. <clears throat> like, wow. Uh, yeah, so I was the like, chief of current operations, director of quality, uh, different positions that we would move around and work in and uh, had a great time uh, uh, in the reserves. And in so doing, I also had some opportunities to – work in the international realm outside of the aircraft, domestic and international. I got to lead teams in Australia, Hawaii, Germany, uh, Spain, Slovakia, and France, and uh, had a <clears throat> magnificent time leading teams doing that. And uh, one of them, like in France, we got to work specifically for the president of France who had contacted our secretary of state at the time, who was John Kerry, to provide airlift for French troops down to the country of Mali to fight insurgents that have been going on down there. And so to be able to do things, and I know a number of the listeners have probably done the same, that show up on CNN within 12 or 16 hours after you've been there is really 
impactful to help other nations out and help our country out. So <clears throat> got to do that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. And so, it, yeah, it was, it was a, that was a magnificent time outside of the aircraft. So I really enjoyed doing that. Great. Wonderful. So you transitioned after 27 years. That's a good long time. And, uh, and what, did you know what you were going to do when you left the military? You know, I, I did not. Um, I was up at the top of my game, if you will. I didn't want to make any more rank. I wanted to stay there and have the quality of life here with the family. And, and it was good. You know, instructor pilot flying the jet, going out with a bunch of your friends and going, going different places. But I could tell you the vacation I was going to have this next year, and I could tell you my income, what is going to be the, that year. But by default, that also meant the vacation or the life I was not going to have, be it financially or time control. And hmm. I, I, I felt like a size, yeah, I felt like a size 10 foot and a size nine shoe, if you will, is it, it was great for a time. I loved it. It's great. But I felt the longing that there was more for it. And I'm rather than moving from this office to that office and doing a couple of trips a year, I felt that my soul was withering a little bit like a piece of fruit that's uh, been in the pantry too long and I Mm -hmm. I needed to move. And so I I made the transition not fully knowing what I was going to go do. I didn't have that metaphorical lily pad that I was going to jump to, but I knew my time was coming to an end there and it was best for myself and my family to go. So I did. And uh, I thought, well, I got friends that work at Boeing and Amazon is big up here in the Northwest and ah, it's going to work out great. Those doors shut. And they did. They did. So it's like, what, what are we, what are we going to do? How do you mean shut? How would you describe that? It was shut. I had, I had the interviews lined up at Boeing. My classmate works there. It's going to happen. And COVID came as coronavirus. And uh, uh, the interview was like a week away, prepping for it. Uh, we're going to slip it out a few weeks, and then the position canceled. Um, uh, hiring at Amazon changed as well, too. So uh, mm-hmm. press on it. You can go there. But there, I, I think that as we give ourselves white space for deep thought, you start pressing into your talent, skills, and abilities beyond the uniform. And mm-hmm. so many of us have it, and we don't think they translate sometimes. And I've seen peers and other military members balk at or resist going through that transition because of false agreements they've made with themselves. I can't do this outside the base. And so they end up saying, in a job that's not the best for them or their families, but due to fear or uncertainty or unknown or the story they're telling themselves, they stay longer than perhaps they wanted to. So it was from that I, I started looking at the skills that do translate. What did I learn through my time here and what can be used as a, and, and can be of value to others? So I had, um, I had been trained up in a discipline called Lean Six Sigma, which is process improvement. I've been certified in that in the Air Force, and I've done a few projects, and I enjoyed it. You can help people save money or run more efficiently. So I started working as an independent contractor for a company doing that, and I really enjoy helping turn that metaphorical light bulb on for individuals, for companies, and helping them 
save money, uh, how to improve their processes. And so that, that was the first step. So I'm like, okay, how can I, how can I grow this even more? And so that led me into developing my own proprietary processes with what I'd learned in the military and reframing questions rather than asking why and reframing it to what now is the premise. Because mm. mm-hmm. every one of us has a why. Every one of it. Yeah, 2020 was a giant why for the world and creates mm-hmm. so much disruption. And I think certainly for people coming through military experience, there can, there can be an injury. There can be it didn't go to plan. Uh, something didn't happen. What, why? And it's, we can drive ourselves crazy by asking why. And I kindly mm-hmm. try to help people go, let's reframe it into what now? Why will mm-hmm. come later? And so that's what led me into looking at the experience I, I garnered, and like with your listeners, that each one of us has coming through the military and making that translate. And there was there's a great need for that, and so that's what that's what led me there. So it wasn't uh, I didn't know what I was going to do on a Tuesday when I got out on a Monday, if you will. But uh, and it, it it was a process over time. It goes under different languages. There's continuous process uh-huh. improvement. There's continuous improvement, you know, process engineering, mm-hmm. right? It goes mm-hmm. under a number of different names, and there's different mm-hmm. tools and different methodologies on it that I still teach today. And mm-hmm. uh, the biggest point is understanding the voice of the customer. And I saw that I was doing that already in the military outside of the different tools. It doesn't matter in the certification, but each one of us has a customer. Whether it's your family, it's your spouse, maybe it's your supervisor still in the military, maybe it's your supervisor in a nine-to-five, you do have a customer. And how can mm-hmm. I best serve them? And so it was along that foundation that I built up my courses on. And I, I developed something called the Apogee Clarity Method. And, and a quick overview for the listeners and what it, what it does is, again, I'm helping business owners, individuals, companies gain clarity and purpose, usually in a season of transition and sometimes during a crisis. And, and it consists of three steps, recognize, recover, and reinvent. So for recognize, mm-hmm. we define what is important to you and measure how you are doing. And this refocuses you or your business on your values and establishes a snapshot of your situation, identifying the pain points. And then the next step is recover. And here I work with you to analyze what is wrong and how to fix it. We identify root cause issues and then prioritize the opportunities to improve them. Mm-hmm. And then finally, in the reinvent phase, reinvent phase, we implement what needs to be done to fix those problems. And while making these improvements, we constantly focus on your customers' needs, ensuring the changes you make will validate their problems and provide solutions to them without feeling salesy. And the mm-hmm. final step I do is helping guarantee future performance by keeping these improvements on their new course while preventing reversion to the old way. And I help refine, mm-hmm. hone, and really spit shine results so you can move to your next level of service and performance. And so that's, that's what I do. Um, that's um, wonderful. So, so could, can you provide us with an example of, uh, I know that you probably don't talk about clients individually, but is there a way to describe this process for instance? You know, how, here's an example of how it worked. Right. One of my clients I'd worked with early on was an eye clinic down in Dallas, Texas. And uh, as we're going through some of the tools, I, they were able to find a $63,000 savings in 30 minutes. 
And (laughs) so they're looking at me and I'm looking at them and like, holy smokes. So that was fantastic. Uh, During COVID, a friend of mine is uh, a civilian or a rather a commercial real estate appraiser. He's an appraiser. And he'd mentioned to me that his competitor had the same manpower, the same number of uh, workers or employees in his business, but was running three times the volume. And would it be possible for me to help him out? And so in two Zoom calls, I was able to show him how to triple his monthly revenue, mm. just, just over two calls, and helped him there. I helped a, uh, a client here a few weeks ago. They've identified a $3 million savings that will be uh, executed within four to six months. Mm. Um, I saved $1.8 million on a building project for a client. So on and on it goes. And, and it's, it's, it's been great is to let go of our, our ego because so much of our identity can be wrapped up in what we do in the military. And it can be very difficult to perhaps let that down or lay that down or put it in the, in the toolbar or the chest and stick it up in the attic. Ego is identity's bodyguard. And hmm. it will prevent you from... It, 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 it's protecting your, your, your identity, however, it's flawed and false. And I'm a, I'm a pilot. I'm a lieutenant colonel. I'm an instructor. I'm a this or that. Okay, fine. That's what I did, but it's not who I am. So when anything about your persona, your identity, your role, your title, anything you get your security from is threatened by the possibility of being rejected or questioned or misunderstood or judged, your ego jumps in and tells you, don't do that. Don't be vulnerable. Don't share that. And so the ego is trying to protect you from the brutality of judgment. But ego is trying, trying to put a layer of protection between you and what people think of your transition so you have to dismantle mm-hmm. ego and not be, not be attached to it. And so I find that in transition, their transition is basically the fifth season in life. We have winter, spring, summer, fall, and transition. It is the season in between seasons. But we have mm-hmm. no knowledge of a transition season. There is no guide. We're, not, we're lost. We don't know what to do. So hence, most of us perform poorly at it. And then we experience fear, disorientation, or pain, negativity. And so, so many of us may you know, revert back to the old way because we don't understand how to handle the language of the next season. And yeah. I've had friends. Does, it, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I, I've had friends who, who had said they wanted to get out of the military and start something out, but because of the season of transition, they had no language where they stayed in. So we, <clears throat> understanding the realm we, we operate in, Simon Sinek speaks of the finite versus the infinite game. Finite games are games like football or sports where there's rules and jerseys and referees and score and a time. Military service is finite for each one of us. Mm-hmm. But there's also the infinite game, which is life and business. There is no beginning. There is no end. Games with no finish line and no winners. There's no such thing as coming in first in marriage or friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, though schooling, schooling might be finite, there's no such thing as winning education. 
we may beat out other candidates for a job or promotion, but no one is crowned winner of careers. All of these mm-hmm. are journeys, and, and they're not events. So mm-hmm. infinite game means infinite horizons, and the primary objective is to keep playing and to perpetuate that game. And the mm-hmm. challenge that I'd seen is when we're transitioning with a finite mindset into an infinite game, this leads to all sorts of problems. Most common are decline of trust, cooperation, and innovation. So we need to recognize the game we're in and what it takes to lead with an infinite mindset. And the, the, the cohort or the ally to that is understanding the two environments we also work in are kind and wicked environments. Kind environments are patterns that repeat over and over where feedback is extremely accurate and usually very rapid. Games like golf or chess or a ball or a piece <laughs> is moved according to rules and within defined boundaries, right? A consequence is quickly apparent. In golf, you can hit it too far or short or slice or hook or fly to the right. So the player observes it. <laughs> That's right? for sure. <laughs> I right? that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the player observes it. They attempt to correct. They try again, and you can repeat it for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The player is likely and, doing and that right do. now as you and I are speaking. <laughs> so in, in a kind environment, it's deliberate practice. It's the 10,000-hour rule, and we rush to early specialization in that technical training. And it's a kind environment because the learner improves simply by engaging in the activity and trying to do better. However, there's also the wicked environment, and this is where the rules of the game often are unclear or incomplete. There may or may not be repetitive patterns, and they may not be obvious. Feedback is often delayed, inaccurate, or both. So, example is an expert firefighter. And do you always get feedback? You, always you may get not. Feedback? You may not get it, or it may be. Uh, it might be delayed, or it might be inaccurate feedback. So, consider an expert mm-hmm. firefighter when faced with a new situation, say moving from a house fire to a skyscraper. They can find themselves deprived of the intuition formed in years of house fires and are prone to poor decisions. And this can be the cognitive entrenchment that can face us. And the problem is when we're pretending the world is like golf and chess, that's very comforting, and it makes for a very tidy, kind world message and some very compelling books we can find on the shelf. But the problem is life is infinite, existing in a wicked environment. We transition within these operating realms. And the military can be, it can be finite, and it can be a kind environment. And mm-hmm. it can be... It could be a challenge to change all of that up and move mm-hmm. into the infinite and the wicked. And so that's what I've looked to identify and to help mm-hmm. people out with to understand you know, why, why don't people want to why, – why are they choosing not to move or if they do that the transition doesn't go well? Mm-hmm. And so it's – Interesting. It can yeah. be – it can be fear of the unknown, like we've been talking about. In my mm-hmm. opinion, this is why I see so many people stay where they are, live smaller than they could, and they settle for happy little life, parked up in suburgatory and then pour their lives into less wild lovers. And this is where I found myself falling into this. I could tell you exactly, like I said, where I was going to be, I was going to work in that office over there, then I'll go over to this one over here, and then I'll go down the hall and work in that one there. It was all within my efforts. But by default, like I said, I'm also saying no to whatever life could be. 
mm-hmm. and denying those inner voices and urgings and longings. And so what happens in that case sometimes is that sports and hobbies and social media and politics, this becomes our desire now. Now, they're not now wait a minute. Social, wait, wait. Social media, is that kind or wicked? <laughs> <laughs> well, these become our attachments. If we deny uh-huh. inner voices of who we really want to be, it can, and again, I'm not, they're neutral in their own right. Sports, mm-hmm. hobbies, social media, they're, they're not bad. Mm-hmm. But if we avoid the fear of moving when those inner voices are, are urging us, it can lead to this life of quiet desperation. And so what becomes our focus are those things, our hobbies, our media, our politics, is all this. And they're not bad in their own right unless it becomes your identity. My identity is mm-hmm. on you know, the latest topic in the news or, or this sport or that hobby. It, be, it can become an identity, and it can be because of the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is in transition that I've seen. So there's just three points of that. So number one would be fear of the unknown. Number two is something called brutiful. And brutiful is a mashup between brutal and beautiful. Because brutal comes before the beauty. We need to develop the ability to see the purpose in all things rather than interpreting brutality as a means not to continue. And here's where your ego can jump up again. It said, you should not be attempting that. And so the book is never written. The works are never published. The entrepreneurial idea never gets invented. The video is never made, etc. Because is this, related, uh, is this related to an imposter syndrome? or? A... Yeah, it, it, exactly. It's like, it's brutal. What am I doing here? Why am I in this room? Why, why am I interfering for this job? Don't they know who, may, who I am? And all these voices of doubt come up. But you think about anything we've done, any one of us who've been through basic training, any one of us, if you play golf, Amanda, was mm-hmm. it like the very first time you picked up a club? Was it an eagle? Was it a... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so the transition can be brutal, brutal. It, it's mm-hmm. The beauty will come, but all we see is the brutal at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So now, do you number th- imagine that – well, before you get to number three, do you imagine that the – that in transition, it sounds as though what you're saying is that you, you go from a kind environment to a wicked environment, uh, difficult and an infinite environment when you go into the yeah. civilian world. And this is that where you, in order to get to a place where you're satisfied and in, enriched and happy and you know so forth, uh, you have to go through the brutal parts. <laughs> is that? Am I hearing yes. that? That's what I'm hearing. Okay, yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Great. Okay. And, and, uh. and it can be as, who am I? I? I wore the uniform straight out of high school through the academy all the way up until I got out. And each one of us, from whenever we joined, and then we take the uniform off, and it can lead to who am I? Mm-hmm. And you could know it, but it's like, oh, it's what I did, but there's more to you than that. And again, the, and the third is what we've already touched on, is that ego is the identity's bodyguard. And we have to dismantle that ego and not be attached to it. It's you versus your authentic self. Mm-hmm. 
And it's the constructed version of you. It's a constructed version of us that can sometimes be so difficult to dismantle. And so having an awakening into your why, into why you exist, what lights your fire, not why did this event happen to me? It's why am I here? Why, why am I on this earth? What is my purpose? That why. What, what is my why to serve in the world versus why did an event happen to me? Does that make sense? Or, mm-hmm. this, this awakening, though, it usually does not move in a straight line from unconscious to conscious. And it can travel through intermediaries, coaches, guides, leaders. Mm-hmm. What, what lights you up? What movie moves you? What book did you read that was like, holy smokes, I'm going to read it again right now. What, what, what music moves you? These are the voices that awaken you up to your true self. And the, it's going it to be the veneers of the life being removed from you. I held this position in the military and I was at this rank and all that. Good. Fantastic. We fantastic. Good. Who are you without the uniform? And it, it, it sometimes, sometimes when you watch a movie, maybe you're not moving the, watching the movie, it's watching you. The movie's watching you. Maybe you don't read the book, the book is reading you. Hmm. What, about the, what about the Olympics? If you're watching the Olympics, do you feel a swell of emotion as you're watching that? That's, pay attention to that. That's telling you something about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what, what we're trying to do is identify that, that real you that provided great benefit and excellent through the military careers, but now transitioning into the great value you can have in the civilian life as well, too. Great. Now, so, so, yes, so how ahead. are you translating these, this is fascinating. How are you translating this into a, your business? You have, you have uh, a variety of things you're doing and working on it and the types of clients, correct? And describe how, how this works, your business. Typically, with a client, they're looking to solve an issue. Mm-hmm. They're, they're losing money. They want to make more money. They have an inefficient process, and that's where it starts. And, and how do you meet them? Have, how do you find them? How do I, uh, I've met them through different contacts. I've, uh, people that I know, sometimes I've been, I've been a guest on their stage. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, uh, uh, obviously, there's different uh, networking uh, groups that can be used. Use those as as needed. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, a few of them have been simply uh, reaching out on some cold contacts. And what I'm trying to do is find out what their why is and and, and try to help them with that rather than, I am this, I am that, I have done all this. As I've learned is that when, if your first two or three paragraphs begin with I, chances are that your email is not going to get a whole lot of answer. But if I can find out more about them, mm-hmm. and this comes with sometimes listening, if I'm meeting different, different people, what, if I know their mission, if I know their purpose, what can I do to come in and assist you? I'm not so worried about the tools right now. Think about with the jet. I'm not here to teach you how the aircraft works. But if you need to get from here to a different location, I'm here to provide you that transportation. How can I be of service to you? And so that's question number one. Um, you, there's, there's different teachings out there on how to try and get an audience. You can pay for 
advertisement on social media. I've found that working with other people's, um, other people's stages works well because they already have an audience, and I'm looking to try mm-hmm. and bring value to them. That, that's, I guess, mm-hmm. the shortest answer. Other than creating my audience out of scratch, let me go where there's other people that do have an audience already. Right, so gotcha. continuing with that eye clinic example that I helped out with in Texas, I'll mm-hmm. be uh, contacting, I have been contacting different eye clinics in my local area, right? Because I've already created value for one of their clientele in their, in their field in another state. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I can be of some value to you in this one. Great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Great. And, and, and go ahead. No, so continuing on to that. So with different clients, so like two weeks ago, I had a client from Austin who's losing $32,000 a month and would mm-hmm. like to turn that around <laughs> in their small business. Yeah. So, so we, put it, we put together some, uh, some tools on that and helped uh, identify uh, critical inputs to it, and we really niche down. We work on one problem at a time. We don't try to metaphorically boil the ocean. <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let, let's work on one problem at a time, and then if we have some other ones, we'll continue to get to that as well first. But... Uh, I, I help them tie into their company leadership. What's a, a key process indicator to the company? What's the company want to do? What's your goal? Well, let's work on some projects that are going to help tie this into a company KPI and, mm-hmm. uh, and work from there. So, for example, the semiconductor shortage that the world is dealing with right now that shut down the automotive lines at Ford, Dodge, and I'm sure various other ones as well, too. There's a lot of companies are having to deal with how do I get to my customers the, the supplies they want or a product promotion, yet there's not there's a big shortage of my product due to a semiconductor. I'll come and work with them on that. So mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, can you fix that please? <laughs> That's a big problem. <laughs> a very oh, it big is. problem. <laughs> yeah, they're they're reaping the benefits of some some challenge or some choices they made years ago. I think on that on that detour, there were a number of companies that, uh, that did a lot of share buybacks. I know Intel was one of them, an article that came up in, uh, I think it was the New York Times, talking about when the world ran out of everything. And mm-hmm. so Intel had spent a lot of money on some share buybacks over the last few years uh, and is now investing in a new semiconductor plant in Arizona. I believe it is. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Good. That'll help. But COVID wasn't the first indication that there could be that there's disruptions in the supply chain in the world. And what was taken was leaning out a process, leaning out their supply chain to one supplier out of Southeast Asia or Taiwan was working great until it didn't. Uh, interesting. Because my customer had shifted to the C-suite, to the board of directors, to the investors in my company who want to be seeing an, an increase on their investment. So if you do some share buybacks, I can help out. And so when the world goes into disruption, we need ventilators. Back in March 2020, this country had difficulty creating ventilators. I'm sorry we can't get you a ventilator, but, hey, our stock price went up. <laughs> a lot of stock prices went up. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm, what I'm teaching companies in that is that their customer changed. The website mm-hmm. might say that you, the individual, is the customer, but no, actually the customer changed to the investors of the board of directors due to our actions because of the share buyback rather than investing into a, 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 a disparate uh, uh, multiple different suppliers to come in in case there was a disruption. So it was a, mm. it was a, that was the difference between values and culture. 
And so I teach on that as well, too. Values are your beliefs, but culture is your behavior. So you can have a value statement up on your website or up in the hallway, and it looks great. But when the waitress is rude or the food is cold or the flight attendant doesn't give you any service, it doesn't matter what your value statement says. That's just words on a page. Culture matters so much more than, than your value statement. However, if your industry aligns between your culture and your value statement, you can go from good to outstanding. Hmm. And that's the difference. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and uh, culture, the culture changed a lot, I think, in the last couple of years in many companies as a result of oh. the havoc. Yes, of havoc. And so I help out with that is what now, right? Mm-hmm. 2021 20, <clears throat> is not looking like 2019 necessarily. It may, it may be there, it may not. Did your customer move? Are they online? Is it work from home? Or are we going back to work? What, what now? It's that question, what now? Okay, well, mm-hmm. we'll orient with some basic things. Who's your customer? Where are they at? If they're still there, let's put some gas on it and keep that process going, or maybe we need to shift it. Yeah. And can, is, is your culture willing to be nimble enough to shift that way to serve your customer? Yep. So that's what I help with. That's great. But all right, so then – yeah, go ahead. But I wanted to bring all this back again, Amanda, is how that tied to the military service. Because I had no language for anything we've been discussing here because I was a pilot, right? I fly the jet. You put me in the front. Keep an eye on me. That's it. I get you from A to B. And, but, but here, as we give ourselves time to look at who we are rather than what we do, you know, when the jet has an issue and I have an emergency and it's at night and we're in the weather and we're over enemy territory, I can't pull over to the side of the road, put on the hazards and call AAA. Mm-hmm. And so – for each one of us in each one of our situations, it's what now. And so we deal with what we got. We have a team. We have other people. It's, it's officers and enlisted. We're all in the same aircraft together. What do you see? And I don't care if you're the junior person and I'm a senior officer. Tell me what you see because I may have a blind spot you don't. And you might have the solution I don't see. But let's work mm-hmm. on the team and look at what now. And, and so that's the superpower I feel every military member has coming out of the service. You don't need to be a pilot. You don't need to be special forces. It's anything that we did has this that can translate into serving other customers in the civilian world. And sometimes we don't feel we have it or we don't have any language for it. And so that's what I I love helping to identify that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, Ben, this has been awesome. I loved uh, talking to you, and I would love you to tell everyone listening about how to reach you in case they wanted to find out more, and I think they will. Excellent. Well, you can reach me. I have a website. I'm at uh, benmorley.com, and that's B-E-N-M-O-R-L-E-Y.com. You can also reach me at email. It's ben at benmorley.net. You can reach me on LinkedIn at Ben Morley. And then on Instagram, I'm at Ben Morley and the number two, Ben Morley two. So if you'd like to reach out to me and find out more, I'd be happy to hear from you. Okay, great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. Amanda, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So, (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for having me on the show, Amanda.